The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. Today, for the next hour, we're going to talk about anything related to firearms. Uh, Each week, we have guests on to share their unique experiences with us in the firearms industry and the shooting sports. And today, I am joined by my host, my co-host, Zev Nadler. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. This is going to be a great show. I've looked forward to this for quite a while. We've been trying to put this together. Uh, Our first guest has been a longtime friend of mine, uh, a a person I really respect, look up to, uh, consider a mentor. Uh, There's been times when uh, I've gone to this man to ask him questions related to to my business, and and he's been a a huge help to me. and has such a storied history in the firearms industry, uh, I don't think I can do it justice. So I'm going to get right into it. Uh, our guest today is Bud Feeney. Bud, thanks for being on the show with us. Oh, my pleasure. I don't know what to say after that introduction, though. <laughs> I hope I don't <laughs> well, let everybody down. <laughs> you know how I feel about you, so uh, I, it shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, what I'd like for you to do is to take a few minutes to kind of go back to the beginning, uh, give us some history on where you grew up. Uh, where you went to school, how you got into the firearms industry, and, and what you've been doing for the last 40 years. Okay. Uh, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 1943, quite a while ago. Uh, I have a father who hunted a little bit, pretty much busy trying to run several businesses as he uh, made money for our family so we could do the things we needed to do. Uh, my biggest break came as I was uh, joined the Air Force in 1966 and went off to Alaska and uh, that really kindled uh, the little flame I had in me that my father had exposed me to hunting, and uh, probably the first or second greatest hunting experience you can have in the world by going to Alaska or Africa. And, you know, met so many interesting people, and and Alaska was still in its old days then. They hadn't found the oil yet uh, or any of those things. And so it it was uh, a man's country where you went out and did everything yourself. You didn't call for a lot of help. Uh, Even though I was in the service, uh, we had a lot of free time. We were able to lead pretty much a normal life of five days a week and maybe one weekend a month at the service. So I, I got to hunt a lot. I was fixated on sheep hunting. I just loved climbing the mountains. Uh, didn't get a ram until my fourth year, my last year there. Uh, did some goat hunting, got a goat the last year there. I was learning learning the ropes, and uh, the natives were great to teach you. So that, that got my spirit going. So I came back to Connecticut to finish up college and uh, started shooting competitively skeet because I was located right near the Remington Gun Club, which was also uh, in Stratford, Connecticut, adjoining Bridgeport, and got to know some folks there and, and uh, became 
pretty good competitive shooter and got interested in Remington in the industry. And uh, when I finished school, I was asked to uh, interview for a position, and, and that really started me in the industry. Uh, so I worked for Remington for 20 years uh, uh, in various capacities, uh, sales, product management, communications, uh, gave me really a Harvard business ed- education, uh, business school education uh, in, in running a, a, a business uh, that's connected with firearms, ammunition, and accessories. Uh, and then moved on, started my own company for a while, and did some consulting for some pretty well-known names like Sig Arms and Mossberg and Savage and Parazzi. Uh, and then uh, ended up going back to Sig, uh, Sig Arms, uh, and we soon became Sig Sauer, and have been there the last 10 years uh, as the vice president of marketing. And now I've stepped back a little bit and sort of uh, worked per- primarily with ammunition and the Sig Academy and special projects. That's kind of a short history. Well, one of the things I want to make sure our listeners understand as he listed off all of the companies that he worked for, uh, it is not the case with Bud that uh, he had trouble keeping a job. It's the fact that he was so good at his job that he was in such high demand, he could pretty much dictate who he worked for and where he worked for in the firearms industry. And I think if if you ask anybody that knows Bud, they'll tell you that that if, if Bud was available, everybody in the industry wanted him to work for him. Well, that's kind so, of you to say that. Yes, I, yeah. and I appreciate that. And I was consulting, so I was looking for work as well from different companies where I think I could help. One of the things about your story I, I really think is unique is that our times passed, uh, you, you know, we passed uh, each other in Alaska. Uh, we were there at the same time. Now, I was uh, considerably younger, and my father was in the Air Force Station at Elmendorf, and he was there from 64 to 67. Actually, we moved to Alaska three months after the earthquake, and um, and he came. we came back to the States in uh, about August of uh, uh, 1967. So he was up there. Uh, one question I'd like to ask you, he was uh, – friends and built a, a rifle for one of the avid sheep hunters out of Anchorage. His name was Joey Bishop. Just wonder if you might recognize that name or know him. Yeah, I do remember the name, actually. Oh, that's cool. Absolutely remember that name. Yeah, I, I see Joey from time to time. He still remembers my dad, and we get together occasionally, but uh, it's great to have a connection like that that you didn't even know about. Um, so, what drove you? I mean, you grew up in an area where you could shoot as a youngster? Mm-hmm. Yes, Connecticut still, upstate Connecticut was uh, still, you could, you could hunt birds, you could hunt some grouse up there, an occasional pheasant, uh, and, and squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, uh, and that's what my father did. And uh, yes, and when I came back from Alaska, I was really lost. I, I missed it dramatically and, and met an old friend that I'd grown up with and, and started competitive skeet shooting. And that really helped fill the void. Uh, be trying trying to finish school at night and, and working during the day that that gave me the outlet to shoot that I really liked and to this day as you as you well know I still shoot a lot of trap and some skeet and sporting I, I love to shoot the clay targets because I like to pull the trigger a lot not just one time on a big game hunt or something like that. Well, I think you and I are a lot alike in that respect. Uh, Shotgun shooting gives you instant gratification. I mean, you know right away whether you've made a good shot or a bad shot. And when you make a good one, you know, things explode and it's yeah. really visual. And, and that's what I really like about it. Um, uh, how, it. How far did you progress in your competitive skeet shooting? 
I was pretty good. I was double uh, A in all four all four guns. You know, twelve, twenty, twenty eight, and four ten, um, and and I enjoyed it. I, I really did. Uh, and I, I really liked the team. We shot as a two man team and as a five man team. We shot you know on competitive weekends at different shoots around the Northeast like that, and um, that really was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and the only reason it stopped is I actually went to work for Remington and was transferred out to Michigan, my first territory, and started doing some trap shooting. And that sort of filled a void, too. Well, I know now trap is your your first choice, and I know you shoot competitively and you, you travel around the country. Um, trap is an interesting game, and, and, and it's kind of like skeet in that if at the level that you shoot at, if you miss one target, you're out. Unfortunately, that is so true. <laughs> if you miss one target, you're just paying your dues, as they say. So how do you keep that drive to stay competitive and work really hard when the difference between you know the very best shooter and, say, the guy who's ranked 100 might be just one or two targets over the course of a, a number of matches? Well, this is just my philosophy. I think there's three kinds of shooters. I think there's people who shoot for fun when they are able to do it and, uh, and, and have a great deal of fun out of it and don't look at it necessarily as competitively as the other two groups. And, and the other two groups, uh, the way I see them made up is one is the very, very competitive shooter who needs to win a trophy and is, and is, is shooting to do that every time he goes out there. I myself, am, I think I belong to a smaller group of shooters who shoot against our, ourselves. Uh, I'm looking to improve as I go along, and, and if I feel that even if I shot a 98 or a 97 and it was a windy day, but I hit the targets really well, as well as they could be hit in that kind of weather, I don't consider that a, a losing day. I consider that a good day and that I've you know maintained my proficiency and not gone backwards, and I I just look at it in that respect. So it's not about, for me, it's not about how many trophies I can win or how many championships. It's it's just I shoot against myself. And I think that it has to be that way for somebody who just is in it for the enjoyment. Competitive, of course. You, you couldn't have gotten to where you are in your professional life without being competitive. You You have to have that drive and that desire to win, to, to be good to uh, you know set goals and accomplish them to be as successful as you are but in competition shooting unless you're going to dedicate your life to it and that's going to be your profession and I think you can you can vouch for me that in the, the ones I know in sporting clays uh, and probably in trap and skeet as well the the guys who are in the top 10 of that sport worldwide it is their profession that's all they do and they work at it constantly uh, that's true that's very true, and, and one of the, you know, it, it's great to have been connected with the firearms and shooting business all my life, as I've been lucky enough to do, to have my vocation and avocation the same thing. However, as you'll attest to as well, you know, when the hunting season comes around, is also the busiest time for the industry people. We are getting ready for shot shows and for dealer shows and wholesaler shows, and we're introducing new products and writing sales programs and marketing programs to go along with it and communication programs. Starting in September, we're as busy as we possibly can be right through the shot show, usually in the middle of February. Um, so uh, it, it does limit your time to practice. It does limit your time to go hunting, and it's kind of a two-edged sword there. Yeah, and I can see how work would get in the way of that as well. So, um, 
but you know we all do what we can uh, i think that you have to have a balance between work and play and i think that's where you know shooting comes in for you i know it does for me um i'm uh, i'm an avid saltwater fisherman that uh, uh, the reason that that happened with me is that i saw my dad lose his hobby about you know 3 years 4 years into this business uh, he quit shooting because he talked business and and bench rest and shooting you know, 16 hours a day for his business, and he just kind of lost the drive to do it. And I wanted to make sure that didn't happen with me, so I took up saltwater fishing, and and to this very day, it's still the thing that drives me more than anything. Uh, you know, I've been to South Africa and to Mozambique hunting, and to be perfectly honest, I would have preferred 10 days of fishing to those days if that were the choice. But sometimes we make choices based on what's best for business and and what's good. Not saying that I didn't enjoy it; I really did, but. I think I would have enjoyed 10 days of saltwater fishing much better. Mm-hmm. No, I, I clearly understand that. And I think that's one of the reasons I gravitated to trap in skeet shooting. As you know, other than the time you're shooting, you're with the four other guys that are behind you and you're discussing or talking about different topics. And it can be business if it's a business group. Whereas trap shooting, you stand on that post and you stand alone. And the only thing going through your mind is what you allow to go through your mind. And it's so, so for me, it was a way to get away from it, actually, even though I was participating in an industry uh, sport. It's right. how we we look at it different ways, but you know, I, I did like the solid the solitary being on the line by yourself. Well, I think what separates you from most of the other men that I've met in this industry, um, beside the fact that, that and I'm going to say this because I'm really firm in my uh, manliness, you're a really good looking guy. As people can tell from your voice. Uh, you are nowhere near the chronological age, either in appearance or in the way you act or uh, your health and fitness. Uh, uh, I just pray to God that I'm half as well preserved as you are when I get to be your age. Um, all all but, the genes. <laughs> but one of the things that impressed me most, I was a young man in this business when we first met. Uh, you and Tim McCormick came out to to my shop to basically vet us when Remington was considering having us make stocks for their custom shop. Um, our our shop wasn't very impressive. It wasn't very big. It was dirty and messy. But you treated me with respect from day one and have never treated me any less than that, even though at the time our age difference was considerably more than it is today because at the younger age it seems like, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years, whatever it might be, seems to be a lot more uh a lot different than it is, you know, when, when you're 60. So, uh, I always really appreciated that about you. And and I think that from everyone I've ever talked to, that's something that you pride yourself in is the way that you treat other people and how you deal with people. Well, it's true. I mean, my philosophy has been, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated at, at any given time. But I think you cut yourself a little short on that one, that, I, I learned more on that trip about stock making than I had ever known. Uh, I had only been in the industry maybe six or seven years. I was heading up the firearms business, I believe, for Remington at the time, and the custom shop came under that. And Tim McCormick and I were looking for a way to, to keep that thing and grow that custom shop because it had such potential. And, and we saw that synthetic stocks was the wave of the future. And the McMillan name was already well-known to me 
even though I didn't know that much about your business. But I have to tell you, you we learned an awful lot on that trip, enough to know that we needed to do that. And the way we broke into synthetic stocks in Remington Arms Company was to put them in the custom shop first, and, and your stock built such a demand that they realized they needed to do it across the line and eventually look today where synthetics are. And, and the day we met, there wasn't a synthetic gun in the Remington Arms uh, portfolio. So don't cut yourself short. You were, you were on the leading edge of a new product generation uh, for rifles and, and even shotguns in this country. Well, thanks. It's really nice to be recognized for that because, you know, I, I believe that. Uh, I don't like to to talk about it much, but, you know, that's the fact. I, I happened to be uh, out uh, last week with uh, my national sales director, Zev, and uh, I, I told him when we walked into a Bass Pro, I said, you know, look at that wall. You know, there's 75 to 80 percent of the guns on the wall are synthetic. Uh, when we started and, and sold our first stock to Weatherby for them to put it on their uh, fiber mark, that wasn't the case. There wasn't a single synthetic stock on the wall. They were all wood. And so we've had a pretty big part in that transition, and I take a lot of pride in that. Right. You've had a huge part. And I can tell you the consternation that that the Remington senior management had when, when I brought the first prototypes in from the custom shop after we got them from you, that, uh, oh, synthetic, they were really terrified that that was going to affect in the customer's eyes the value of the Remington product as opposed to enhancing it and so um, we all took our risks and, and but they well they really paid off and your point about 80% of the guns in the rack are synthetic today it, it just shows how way ahead of the times McMillan and company was hey bud Zev here um, I, I wanted first of all to uh, thank you again for being on the show um, I always have a great time on every show, but sometimes, um, you know, when I meet somebody that I know Kelly has so much respect for, like I did a couple shot shows ago, I've always looked at you as the elder statesman in the industry. And uh, what I'm dying to know and itching to know is if you could tell us a little bit about the uh, about the contract between the U.S. Army and SIG. Oh, okay. Well, uh, that's that's. I'd love to talk about that. I think is probably um, the most fantastic thing that could have happened to SIG at this point in, in our growth. Um, so SIG was a company that was around for a long time. You know, the, the original Swiss bought the German company back uh, quite a few years ago in the 60s and combined, and they became SIG Sauer, and then they opened up a branch in the U.S., just strictly a, a retail branch uh, called SIG Arms, and then um, they were sold to uh, two German industrialists in the year 2000. And then he brought in our, our current CEO, Ron Cohen, who's hired a number of us older guys. And the company has just blossomed in, in the last 10 years uh, to become what it, what it is. And now, now winning the, you know, we've had some pretty good customers. We had the Navy SEALs were our customers, the FBI, CIA, uh, Secret Service, you know, a pretty good list of customers. But to win the Army contract has now changed the complexion of this country, this company, forever. It will never be the same. And, and to be recognized that way, I mean, what you go through for this period of years as you go through all their different articles of, of testing and, and requirements to, to get that contract is, is just phenomenal. And it's been a real learning experience for us. And to come out ahead, but, but 
you know, I'd like to point out that we thought about this product for a long time and that the Army would need a truly modular system. And I, and I really think that's the reason we won, in addition to the durability and the shootability of the gun and the accuracy. It, it is truly a modular system. And I think that SIG is not the only winner in this. I think any shop that has put their mind to uh, generating accessories or uh, uh, other products that go along with that particular firearm are going to benefit as well. So I see uh, kind of a subsection industry really benefiting from what you guys have done. That's true. Um, the, first of all, the P320, the gun that won the contract, has been on the market for over two years already. Uh, so it, it wasn't just held back. It, it's, it's had its uh, testing out in the real world for quite a while. And, and you know, our, our more recent slogan that we use is we're the full system provider. So, yes, we make the P320 and we make handguns and we make rifles, but we also make ammunition. We also make silencers. Uh, so we, we are spreading it across. We make optics, new electro-optics, which are going to be a big part of the future uh, in hunting and shooting as well. So um, SIG has come a long way. It's been an interesting 10 years for me to be part of this organization and watch it grow this way and, and how much it's uh, become ingrained in the marketplace. Well, just to let our les- listeners know, uh, Bud has retired I don't know whether it's been many times, but I know a few times, but, you know, they keep dragging him back in, you know, the old saying, uh, especially from an Italian guy. Uh, you, you wouldn't do what you're doing right now, is still working after your retirement, consulting, you know, you, traveling around the world for SIG, if you didn't enjoy it. As I said, I'm, I'm uh, one of the luckiest people in the world uh, to be able to have my a vocation as my avocation. There's just no other way to say it. I have been blessed to be in an industry that I truly love and enjoy and have seen, you know, so many products that you talk about walking into a store like you did a little a few minutes ago about seeing synthetic guns on the wall and you and you know a number of those are yours and a number of people across this country that own Macmillan stocks. And it's the same thing for me when I walk into a dealer and I see, you know, even if it was the Remington 1187 or the the Savage 110 uh, Stalker or, or or now the the Sig P320 to be part of an industry and that's so ingrained in the American culture is just it's phenomenal I could have never dreamed of it in my wildest wildest days never I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to talk about the optics more I think uh, one place where sig didn't have uh, any products and now they do is the optics and I know f- for a fact that that new rangefinder is is phenomenal for uh, unbelievably priced it just it kind of has set the tone for the market uh in the last year or so uh, talk about the new products that keep coming out that that is differentiating you know the new sig from the old yeah and and optics is not my greatest area of expertise but but it also has been thrilling to watch this because we started you know, a lot of companies um, can adopt and, and buy other products and rename them or use existing technologies. The, the great thing about SIG is even when we started ammo, we started with a clean slate. How do we want to load ammo? How do we want to design a bullet? Uh, how do we want to make our brass? And, and how do we differentiate it from the competition? Not only just to be different, but to be better. And, and that was true with electro-optics as well. Uh, Andy York, who's the president of that division, started with a clean slate of paper because that's what Ron Cohen said. Listen, 
Make me something that you think everybody in the, in the, in the hunting and shooting world would like to have that doesn't exist now, and, and, and how you make it better, and how you make it a SIG product with the highest level of quality. And so, again, they started four years ago with a clean sheet of paper and, uh, and incorporated. I think that's you know the biggest advancement that's going to happen in optics is adding the electro part to it uh, that offers, uh, in, particularly in a rangefinder or something like that, uh, offers uh, the capability is exponential as to what it can do versus just straight glass. So, um, and I think that's why they've been so successful. That rangefinder, that the new twenty four hundred, uh, is just outstanding. I, I, I've seen articles comparing it to six and seven thousand dollar rangefinders that the military uses, and it, it competes on an equal basis. It's just amazing. Absolutely. Now, one thing that we haven't talked about, and we haven't let the listeners know that that you're really a marketing guy. You're your education was in marketing, and basically all the jobs that I've known you to have have been on the marketing side of it. One of the things that I learned very early on from Remington was that marketing really is the driving force behind innovation in uh, and a, a big company like SIG, and that's because when somebody comes up with an idea, they take it to marketing and say, one, can we sell this? And what can we sell it for? And then they have to figure out how to make it for that. I know that was the case with Remington. Is that still the way it's done with SIG, or do you take a different approach to it than that? Take a little bit different approach. We think the market needs certain things, as as is the case with the modular handgun, and then we bring it to market, and we market it. Um, it it's converse. It works the other way. Sometimes the greatest product in the world that's been invented is not does not become the winner or is not the most successful because it lacks the marketing. Unfortunately, the world is, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, uh, is very much guided by the marketing uh, that a company puts out for its products, and it, it can spell the doom or the success of many products. So um, I, I think, you know, again, uh, I have to thank Ron Cohn, the CEO who brought me on board. He said he gave me the same directive. Here's a clean fleet of paper. Tell me what you need budget-wise, people-wise, and let's build a marketing department here that can support what we intend to do on the product side of this business. And, and that's the way it's gone forward. And I think the two hand-in-hand hand are, are ultimately responsible for the success of many of the things we've done here in recent times. And uh, that might be the single biggest differentiator between you and some of the other manufacturers today because you're still innovating, you're still bringing out new products, you're still on the cutting edge of a lot of different things, and um, we don't see that a lot from the other big companies so much. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because we're you know we consider ourselves a twelve year old company when when the uh, when the German investors bought us and and we became Sig Arms and, and we are a U.S. based corporation. I want everyone to know that we started with thirty five people in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, and we are now a company of seventeen hundred plus people in Exeter, Portsmouth. We have five locations up there right now, and a new ammo plant is just going into existence in. Uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas, for a sixth location. Uh, I, I think it's uh, just the, you know the spirit of the company uh, that drives us and, and makes us that we you know we want to we want to yes everybody's had ammunition everybody's had firearms but but innovation is the secret to success in this industry and I think that's where we have really 
Sean, again, I give Ron credit. We have 33 full-time engineers just in the firearms business up there working, uh, helping us build better, more quality products that are different. Well, I think that the uh, the customers can see the difference in the approach because, uh, like you said, I think you're probably the fastest-growing uh, company in the firearms industry. Uh, I know that there are other companies that have grown by acquisition. Uh, that's not been your choice. Uh, is SIG against uh, you know, acquiring smaller companies, or do they just want to grow organically? Yeah, I, I don't know if against is, is the right word, but, but generally when we have looked at doing those kinds of things, we, we always come back to the thing that, well, you know, if we invested the money and did it our way or do it the way we think it should be done, we'd probably have more success. And, and so we've chosen always, as I said, to build our own product, not, not to, to buy it. And um, it's, so far it's been the key to our success, no question about it. Man, I hate this time in the show because I got to tell you we're out of time, but I've really enjoyed spending time with you. Uh, as I said earlier, you know how I feel about you. I really want to thank you for taking the time to to share your story with our listeners and talk a little bit about SIG. Definitely want to have you back when we get some time. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, our listeners for staying tuned. Um, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. 
thanks for being with us. Uh, appreciate you sticking by us uh, through the break. Man, that was an exciting uh, conversation. I, you know, if you didn't get the message, I really got a man crush on that guy. He's he's terrific. Uh, if if you ever have an opportunity to spend any time with him, you see him at Shot Show. Uh, shake his hand. Really nice guy, Bud Feeney from uh, Sig Sauer. Just just an awesome man. Uh, our next guest is is so totally different from Bud in a good way that uh, I think it makes a really great contrast to um, the sh- for the show. Um, I met Todd Wickstrom about four years ago, maybe a little more. We were on a five-day fishing trip out of San Diego, hoping to get into some big tuna. As it turns out, all we caught was yellowtail, but actually we caught a lot of yellowtail, so no one was really complaining. I happened to catch the third biggest fish on the boat and, and won the third place jackpot, which paid about 185 bucks, which I was happy at because I don't win a lot of jackpots when I'm out there. But I will tell you one thing. I have fished with a lot of men uh, from around the world and there might be only one guy I could name, and I'll, I'll shout out his name, John LaSala of Safari Arms, who is as avid and as good a saltwater fisherman as Todd Wickstrom is. Todd, hey, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Kelly, very much, and thanks for the compliments. Well, you know, when I was putting together a team to fish in a tournament last year, you know you were the first guy I called. So uh, you know how I feel about you, and, and we love to fish. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll let our listeners know we've got a, a fishing trip planned down uh, to the East Cape, which is uh, you fly into Los Cabos, and instead of going south to uh, Cabo San Lucas, you go east to the East Cape, and we're going to stay at uh, Palmas de Cortez and fish for four days. It's going to be awesome. Targeted species rooster fish because I've never caught yeah. one. I think I, well, you know. I think I hooked into one the last time we were out and I farmed it. And unlike myself, I I should have caught it, but it is what it is. So we're going to return and, and go find some more of those big roosters. I'm excited, well, Kelly. I can't wait. Yeah. I've ordered some new lures and they're on the way. So let's go kill them. Anyway, just a, um, just a little bit more about your fishing ability. Uh, for anybody who knows, you you normally troll for marlin uh but as luck would have it with a guy who will not sit still anytime he's on the boat if he's not uh, engaged in some sort of fishing with rod in hand he's not happy we were actually hoping to catch some pargo or or snapper off the bottom and he was jigging with a uh, with a yo-yo jig um a sal uh, a tady was it uh, it was a any- sal six x yes and white yeah, Salus 6X uh, jig, which is a big iron jig, dropping it off, bouncing it off the bottom, and it got hit by uh, what we estimate to be about a 400-pound black marlin. Now, the reason that we only estimated, we saw it for about 20 seconds as it hightailed it off. Um, of course, the, the 25 or 30-pound test that he had on was no match for the big fish, and it, it just basically you know broke the line immediately. But that was, man, that was fun. And I've never, ever heard of anybody hooking a marlin jigging off the bottom before. First thing for everything. You know, that was a surprise to all of us. And when that fish came up and jumped, what, 30 feet off the stern like that and then took off the other direction, that was very exciting. And for us not to be catching anything all day except the sweat and 110 degree sweltering heat, that was an eye opener. That was a lot of fun, Kelly. Good times. Yeah. Good times. 
And, well, what you, know, what you just described was uh, fishing in Cabo during the summer. So if anybody wants to go to Cabo, I wouldn't recommend June through September. But you know what? There's a lot of good fish out there during that time. So us avid fishermen sometimes uh, brave the heat and, and go out there and do it. Absolutely. You got to love it because we're fishermen, right? That's right. So anyway, well, let's move on to, uh, let's move forward. Um, yeah. I'm here to talk about targets, correct? You're right. Well, let's start off with you telling us a little bit about your history, where you grew up, uh, you know, how you got into the firearms industry and, and what drives you today. Well, I grew up in Southern California. I was kind of a beach bum, grew up in the ocean, and, and that, of course, is where I grew my likings for fishing, of course, and firearms in Southern California weren't so hot and heavy even back in the 70s when I grew up, but we go out to the desert and shoot the 22s every once in a while, get two grandpa shotgun, and, and that was more or less the extent of it. I didn't have the opportunities to hunt down in Southern California like I do now up in Idaho, but fishing took place of the hunting, so just the same, it was all fun. So when I was a kid, I grew up doing these things called TV commercials and kind of became a, a childhood star, so to speak, and, and did over 20 national TV commercials. And then when you become to the age of about 21, you don't look old enough to drink beer, but you look too old to drink soda pop. So your agent basically tells you to take a 10-year hiatus and then go back to the, to the chalkboard and, and start up again 10 years later. And, well, I had been going to college down there in Southern California, and I was halfway done and decided to transfer up here to Boise State to cleaner skies and uh, less people and, and more things to do that were on the outside. So here I am now. I went to Boise State couple years and finished up with school and and immediately when I was done I started a sushi business of all things and instantly I was on the shelves of Albertson supermarkets which started here locally in Boise and then it bloomed into five states in the northwest and the next thing you know I've got the sushi into all the Winco stores I've got it into Costco I've got it into the hospitals I've got it into ski resorts I've got it just about everywhere I've got it to Cisco and Cisco turns around and sells it to the casinos in northern Nevada. So it was a flourishing company for several years. And, and as 2008 hit with the real estate market and the recession, things slowed down a little bit. And my wife told me to stop working harder and to start working smarter. And it was at that point in time where I put the sushi business up for sale. Three months later, it was sold. And I found myself essentially without a job. And my wife looked at me funny and said, you need to get off the couch and go get a job. So I started the wholesale nutraceutical distribution company, and that's still going strong. And aside from that, I was getting into shooting guns and shooting close ranges. And close ranges turned into longer ranges, which turned into longer ranges. And the issue I had was finding targets to hit. Therefore, I went down to the big box stores looking for targets to buy that were already ready to take home and set up. But their selection was very dismal, and I saw an opportunity, and I started building a gong in my garage, which, you know, it's not much to it. It's, you know, it's not like it hasn't been invented before. I just kind of massaged the old mousetrap and, and made it a better mousetrap. I wanted something that was portable. I wanted something that was convenient. I wanted it to be affordable. And I wanted to market it as such as being very fun and convenient. And here we are today, years later, 
and we now have our product in Sportsman's Warehouse and many other smaller gun shops and internet sites across the country, as well as the McMillan website. So what's the name of the company? The name of the company is Guns Gong Crazy. And before you Google it, make sure you don't Google Guns Gone Crazy because you might see something you don't want to see or you can't take away from your memory. Uh, So Guns Gong, G-O-N-G, crazy.com. Yeah, so like a big swinging gong like you'd see in a Chinese movie, that's where that word comes from. And and that's really what that looks like when you look at the target, you know, sitting out there. It's hanging, and it's it's big and round. So, yeah, great great name. Uh, and it, what, so you've got the website, and you start selling these products. So I'm sure that you decided, well, you know, in order to be able to do this in such a way that I'm going to make some money, I got to be able to mass produce them. So let's talk about you know how you got to where you are today, uh, where it's available, uh, all the the steps that. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because a lot of our listeners are small business owners. They want to get into this business and they want to do something in the firearms industry, but they don't really know what it takes. So if you could share a little bit about your experience, start to finish, on how you made a business out of an idea. Uh, it would be helpful or helpful for our listeners. Well, first and foremost, idea. Emphasis on idea. When you're out there every day, when you go shopping, when you go to the grocery store, you know there's opportunity everywhere out there, and you have to recognize the opportunity. Obviously, for one, and for two, like Bud was saying, marketing is the way. It, it, marketing has molded our country essentially. So. Once you figure out a product that you feel that there is an opening in a market, you just have to market it correctly. And uh, what I'm pushing behind the guns gone crazy is the fun factor. And when you're out 800 yards or 1,000 yards and and you pull the trigger and you hear the big old thong, you look at your buddy, he looks at you, and you get that smile because you've hit your target. And you know, as I described this target, it, it, it's, it's AR-500. It's heat-tested up to 536. And it makes quite a twang when you hit it, even at 1,000 yards, even at 1,500 yards. So you recognize that opportunity, and you obviously shuffle your deck into the right order, and you decide whether or not this is feasible. And, and when I first started putting these together, I have my brother-in-law and I had friends and family and, and one person wanted one. And then the next thing you know, another person wanted one. And then I put a little tiny free ad in the newspaper to see if the market would bear what I was asking for the price on these. And I'm selling them through the local newspaper and I'm going, okay, this is all good. And then you kind of realize that, well, okay, when when you look at a product, what are you going to do with that product and where are you going to take it? And it was at that point where, well, I do have a product that is tangible and, and people are buying it. Well, where do I go with it? And being in the sushi business for all those years and dealing with box stores and grocery stores, you know, my my knowledge was with the box stores, and therefore I started kind of molding this product towards putting it into the box stores where, you know, obviously packaging is a big issue, shelf space is a big issue, and distribution is also another big issue. And, you know, fortunately with Sportsman's Warehouse, they've got a distribution center, and they've got my product in it, and now I don't have to do the direct store deliveries to their stores, which simplifies my life. Um, hey, Todd, it's Zev here. Yes. You know, you talked about the yes, fun yes. factor, 
And I'm I'm just gonna give a full disclosure here. I you know I, I'm not your employee. I'm I'm Kelly's employee, but I got a gong crush and a target crush on your your target. It's amazing. Um, you know, you talked about the long range. Just this morning, I had a new shooter out, uh, a gal from Europe, who had never shot before, and I took her through a paper target just to kind of get her uh, trigger press going on and her sight alignment and breathing and so on. And then we went to the swinging plastic bottle. Uh, that that we do, and that's kind of fun. It has different colors on it, and you know, if you hit the bottle, it's somewhat satisfying. But then when I said, "Okay, I think you're ready for the gong," we had it about you know uh, 30 yards out, and she was using a nine millimeter, and it was big enough, and she had already felt good enough that she was actually able to hit it, and she had the best reaction when the gong went off as opposed to the other two. Um, I got so excited that I I don't know if anybody knows, but I have a small little drone business. I brought the drone up. And uh, started doing uh, orbiting around her and, you know, seeing the splash. Um, you know, this thing was engineered correctly. The way you have it hanging off those Kevlar straps means that, you know, most of the rounds deflect. Um, and the angle of it is perfect for close-in shooting, too, because we didn't feel uncomfortable shooting, you know, at 30, 35 yards or whatnot and seeing the splash come down, and we knew we were protected. So I can't say enough about your target. It's a phenomenal tool and makes people feel good. So thank you. I love it. Thank you, Zeb. I appreciate the compliment. You know, it was something that was just for myself. I, I, it was all about the fun factor, and it was something that I wanted to build for myself, which obviously with uh, the, our great country that we live in and the entrepreneurial spirit, we built something to make somebody else's lives easier. So now instead of having to come up with this whole thing on your own, you can go over to the local box store and, and go buy it and make your life a little easier. I think one of the coolest things about the product is that the way you designed it to be portable, you know, one of the hardest things, if you know, if you're going to weld up a, 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 a TP type, uh, uh, frame and, and hang about 65 pounds of, of steel off of it, it's not really all that conducive to taking out to the range. But with yours, the way you boxed it for sale in the in the retail stores, it, it also means that you can carry it out uh, to whatever distance you want uh, fairly easily, put it together when you get out to that range, and then also keep that box so that when you get ready to take it home, you've got some place to put it and put it in the back of your car or in the back of your truck and, and keep all the parts together. I think that's such a, a good idea. That's really, for me, what sells that product. Well, when, like I say, I just go back to, to coming up with something that, that I wanted for myself, Kelly. It was, you know, first of all, the hanger that hangs the steel. Most of us have four-wheelers, and we have gun racks on our four-wheelers. Well, that, that portable hanging stand fits right inside of that gun rack on your handlebars. So you, you knock that one off of the list. It's real simple. You put it on your gun rack. You put the plate, the 18-inch, 3-8-inch steel AR-500 plate in, in the luggage rack or your, your game rack in the back of your four-wheeler, and you're off to the races. You ride out for 10 minutes to your spot, and it takes you just a couple minutes to set the entire system up, and then you're back and you're shooting already. And, and by saying you're shooting already, it means you're going to continue to shoot unlike the old style where we all just took chains and we hung our steel with chains. And one bad shot can ruin your whole entire day because you shoot a link, and if you don't have a spare link, how are you going to hang your steel? You're not going to hang your steel. You're going to go home. You're going to buy a new chain next time you go out. And, and 
probably commit the same exact mistake you did the first time by hitting another chain and, and ruining your afternoon. So by replacing those chains with Kevlar, the bullet passes right through the Kevlar and the Kevlar fibers essentially open up, the bullet passes through, and then they more or less heal up with a little bit of fraying on the other side, but you can barely tell that the bullet has gone through there. Um, and you get a basically a, a pinhole after a 30 caliber round has passed through, which is it's phenomenal. The first time I went out and tested it, I was scratching my head because I had thought I'd missed every single shot going through the strap, which was completely wrong. I had made a solid hit on every single one. It just the bullet hole would heal up, and I couldn't see it with the optics. And this was all done at 75 yards with 5.56 and 30-06 as well. Um, that is the grunt of the system. That's the, you know, what do I want to say? I want to say that anybody who shoots steel knows that steel chain is essentially the Achilles heel of your whole entire system. The weak and link, so to speak. The weak link, yes. Break yourself from the chains of ignorance. Buy yourself some Guns Gone Crazy Kevlar straps. Available at www.gunsgonecrazy.com. That's awesome. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the uh, Kevlar because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there saying, oh, no, Kevlar's bulletproof. They use that for bulletproof vests and the bullet doesn't go through it. Um, you know, when when Kevlar was originally designed, it's an arid fiber. Kevlar is a, a DuPont-branded name. Um, they thought, oh, at the time, DuPont uh, owned Remington, and they thought, yeah, it'd be really cool to have Kevlar in the stock. So we we made some stocks with Kevlar in them, specifically for Remington, because it was a corporate image thing. And we found out that it was the worst material there is to make gun stocks out of. Uh, the The fibers were woven so tight in the cloth that it didn't absorb any of the resin. The resin just coated the outside of it. So um, you really didn't get a good lamination. And if you laminated it between two pieces of fiberglass, you could actually separate them completely, just peel them right off. Um, You couldn't cut it with scissors because of the, the way the fiber is. And you couldn't machine it with uh, an end mill on our CNC in leather machines if they got them into an area that we had to cut it just fuzzed up like a big ball you know looked like, like an afro, a yellow afro um, mm-hmm. but but in the state that you use them in that's exactly right what makes Kevlar such a tremendous material is that it has such great tensile strength that it doesn't break when that bullet hits it it just moves out of the way and allows it to go through what they do when they use it for uh, for bulletproof material is they put several cross sections in different orientations and leave space between it so it absorbs that energy as it as the bullet uh, is stopped and that's how it keeps it from going through so yes it is the same material that all you guys are thinking about just in different applications it it does has different uh, qualities. Absolutely, absolutely, it's phenomenal. It, it's it's you know our space engineers are space engineers for a reason, right? Right. I saw on Facebook uh, a, a photograph not too long ago of uh, your son and a friend of his, I think, and Mr. Wilson uh, running the shop. Uh, you're doing pretty well with this. I mean. Uh, um, here's a chance for you to blow your own horn. Tell us how sales are going. Well, as a startup, sales are pretty good. I can't complain. Um, 
you know, you get into a big box store, you, you get one order, you get another order. Of course, you're waiting for that third order for the, for the sell-through, and, and I'm chomping at the bit for that for the big box stores right now. I've got Internet sales that, that continue to move out the door. I mean, every day it seems that I'm sending another product out the door, whether it's going to Florida, Arizona, or, or New Hampshire. It doesn't really matter. There's a good reach, and, and I just had a gentleman here today. I was in the Boise Sportsman Show last week, and he's a dealer out of Texas, and, and he just swung by. He called me yesterday. He said, I've been thinking about your targets, and, and I would like to pick up, uh, you know, a few of them for, for going back down to my shop in Texas. So he just left here before this, before this interview, and he picked up nine targets to take down to Texas. So, I mean, every day it seems like more and more are going out the door, and, and now I need to get a little more serious about, uh, about my shooting and get my, my long range gear into a full effect where, you know, before, you know, I'm a fisherman and, and I've always been a hunter, but I archery hunt and I need to get a little more involved with the guns. I need to get, you know, all of my, my dope set up. I need scopes. I need a, I need a long range, a true long range rifle and really gather my, my goods and and promote this from from my level where I become a more proficient shooter because right now I'm you know I'm a good four five hundred yard shooter I've shot out to fourteen hundred yards and and had no issues but I really feel like I need to learn a lot and I know you had mentioned to me I believe his name is Bob Becker is that correct Kelly Bob Beck it's Bob Beck and he's got yep. the long range long-range school over in Oregon, and, and one of these days I'd love to get over there and, and go shooting with them to, to really learn how to, to get these one-mile shots and these two-mile shots. Todd, tell me, how I'm, much uh, are, are your, what is the MSRP on your targets, and can they be purchased off the website easily, and are there any accessories to go with it? T- talk a little bit about that. So right now, 249 is the MSRP on the target system. And that includes everything. That includes your stencil. So on the system, you receive an 18-inch stencil that fits neatly over the 18-inch steel target. And with that stencil, you also receive some fluorescent paint. So this magnetic mylar stencil fits over the steel. You take your rattle can of paint, you spray it down, and you have an MOA or a zone to shoot at. So that's included in the kit. Also, you get your folding hanger, you get your stainless steel hardware, you get your windage flag, you get the Kevlar straps, and you get your high-visibility powder coating. So everything for 249 bucks, and that's a turnkey. You don't need anything else. You pull it out of the box, and within five minutes, you're shooting at it. You know, that's an incredible price because I think most of us, if we priced a, a piece of steel that big in the, the A500 steel, you know, it seems like it costs almost that much just to buy the, the gong part of it. Uh, I know you're buying stuff in, in bulk and doing the best you can to keep a reasonable price on it. But, I, you know, for what we spend on shooting, you know, you can shoot up $250 worth of ammo one day out, you know. So um, that for a target that you can use over and over that, that has all of the features built into it, I think is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. So back to the steel, RAF 500 is coming out of Illinois or Pittsburgh, one or the other, and we cut it here in town. We also powder coat it here in town. And uh, this last batch that we had, they have to test it all, and it tested on the Brunel scale at 536. So our AR500 is actually a lot more stout than just your ordinary AR500. There's a lot of companies out there that, you know, they, you got to say what it is. And, and 
you know, to Brunel test it, it, it costs some money, and you just got to know what you're dealing with because there is some steel out there that's coming in from China, and inadvertently, when I first started this, somebody supplemented my great USA, Pittsburgh, or Illinois steel for some Chinese steel. I was a little upset because my whole basis of this entire gong is U.S. steel, and I want to keep it like that. So every time we do this, we get a heat test, and we know what our factor is as far as the tensile strength on the steel and making sure that we're ensuring the the customer gets the very best product that we can get to them. Hey, Todd, I hate to say this, but, man, time is up. I had a bunch more questions I wanted to ask you, but I looked over at the uh, the text box and saw 30 seconds and said, oh, man, they're going to kill me. Uh, I really want to thank you for being on the show. It's terrific. I'm really happy for you. I'm, I'm glad things are going well, and I really look forward to spending a, a few days with you fishing next month. Can't wait to do it, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for being uh, here on the show. Uh, once again, we come to the end of another show. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners for spending your very valuable time with us. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here on voiceamerica.com sports channel for another session of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.